As I said in episode 900, my update about dropping this podcast back to one a week for a while for health reasons, I'm going to be sharing brand new episodes only on Mondays for a while. I'm going to use my usual Wednesday and Friday slots to reshare some excellent older episodes. What follows is one of those interviews. I remember my brother and I going through them and we would, we would click on their profiles and we would say, this is a fake profile. A lot of them were from Macedonia, from Russia. And it, at the time, we didn't know what to make of it. We, we kept telling ourselves, why does it seem like there's all this fake news coming from Russia? Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. In this episode, I interview Omar Rivero. Omar is a political activist and entrepreneur who has built the online group called Occupy Democrats. Omar founded Occupy Democrats in late 2012 and was soon joined by his twin brother, Rafael. Occupy Democrats is a political organization and left-wing information website that aims to provide a counterbalance to the Republicans' Tea Party. It's a large and active community. When you talk to Omar, you might be surprised to learn that Occupy Democrats, which is not without controversy for its boldness of its communication, is run by a level-headed and pragmatic fellow. I was very interested to hear him describe how he grew his organization to millions of followers. So first, our sponsor, and then my interview with Omar with Occupy Democrats. This episode is brought to you by TargetSmart. TargetSmart is America's leading provider of political and consumer data solutions. Their expert team of political and direct marketing professionals help their clients make the right decisions, define their audiences more intelligently, and communicate in a more impactful and cost-effective way. To learn more, go to TargetSmart.com. So would you mind uh, introducing yourself and give me a quick bio? My name is Omar Rivero, and I am the founder of Occupy Democrats, along with my co-founder and identical twin brother, Rafael Rivero. I was born in the United States. I moved here when I was eight years old. I studied at Cornell University. I majored in industrial and labor relations, which is basically the study of labor unions. I did my, my master's in business from the European School of Management. Shortly after that, I worked for a bank, quit my job, and started Occupy Democrats in September of 2012. What's sort of the uh, founding story of Occupy Democrats? Basically, I was working for a bank, and I come from a family of low means, and you know, I had a lot of student loans. Uh, I had done my master's in business. My idea was to basically work for the man and make some money, and then when I was older in life, use that money to dedicate myself to my real passion, which is politics and help people. But after working for a bank and seeing the harm that we were doing to consumers and working class Americans, thought to myself, you know what, 
why don't I just take the plunge and dedicate myself to politics? And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, you know, I'll figure it out. But I'm still young and I have my whole life ahead of me to figure out how to make a living. And that's pretty much how it started. I decided to make a Facebook page. Now, the name wasn't a fluke. I had gone to the Sukkoti Park to see the protests. And when I spoke to occupiers who I agreed with, and I was a member of Occupy, a lot of them thought that they could affect political change while being outside of the political system. And I thought that was the cardinal mistake that Occupy made. About a year later, after I quit my job and I was deciding on a name for a Facebook page, I decided to create a community where those who support the general tenets and ideas of Occupy but also supported President Obama, the Democratic Party, could have a space where they felt welcome. And that's how the name Occupy Democrats came to be. Do you ever have any blowback from occupiers about your use of the name? Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, when I first started, a lot of them were pretty livid. But the same people have reached out to me over the years, including some of the founding partners. And I don't want to say that they apologized, but they basically took back their criticisms and they said, you know what, I think your heart's in the right place and you really struck a chord and we support your work. So a, lo a lot of them still don't, but the way I see it is, you know, there's Occupy, Goldman Sachs, there's several different offshoots of Occupy. So I just consider myself another offshoot. And I think the seven, our 7 million members can attest to the fact that there was a need for this offshoot. When you first got going, what were the first moves that you made besides starting a Facebook page? What kind of things did you try? What worked and what didn't work? You know, I get this question a lot. What I did at first, I probably spent the first three or four months spamming. And what I mean by spamming is I would join political conversations on the comments section of other large established political players. And I would just engage people and say, look, I'm Occupy Democrats. I mean, it wasn't under my personal name, but it was as Occupy Democrats. And I just basically engaged people in conversations. And every day I would add 10 followers or so. And then a couple of weeks later, I was adding 20 followers a day and it just snowballed. Once I got a bit of a critical mass, then I started to create my own content, and that's when it really started to take off. What sort of content did you create? At first, I would create graphics. Personally, I'm, I'm not very technologically astute. I'm just really good at social media. I still, to this day, don't really know how to use Photoshop that well, but I just did what I could. And at the time, graphics were what they are today. I mean, it was Facebook memes were kind of in their infancy. It wasn't until my brother, my twin brother, Rafael, joined me about nine months later. He has a design background and he's got a real knack for it. And that's when our graphics game really took off. And then I was able to focus on the website, which I launched about the same time. And my forte is articles. So curating and making titles and excerpts and writing the articles. So then we delegated responsibilities. We separated responsibilities where he would focus on the graphics and I would focus on the articles, which is what the two of us do best. Well, you mentioned memes. What is a meme exactly? 
I mean, a meme is a graphic. It's a political graphic. But um, I think what sets us apart from the other meme makers is that ours are more engaging. I think that my brother and I really bring a fresh perspective. We both studied political science, and I think that our content is of a higher intellectual value. And I think those who have been around for a longer time are really drawn to it. What I mean by that is we don't we don't just make like funny graphics like for 15-year-old kids. We make graphics that talk about social security and labor unions and they really appeal to an older demographic. For example, our largest age bracket on our Facebook page is 55 to 65. So that gives you an idea of the kind of folks who are drawn to our content. Can you give me an example, maybe a recent example of something that's going on in the news that you picked up and put sort of your spin on it, your meme on it. Talk me through the thought process of how you did that and how it worked. Well, I think uh, we had a lot of success with the Charlottesville protests and the fallout from Heather Heyer's murder and Donald Trump's coverage of it. These weren't uh, like very intellectual memes. What we did was we tracked down who the folks were who attacked that the innocent black man. His first name was DeAndre. I forgot his last name. And we were able to work with our community to identify them and make graphics outing them. And many of them ended up being arrested. And most, if not all of them, ended up being fired. That just gives you an idea of um, the kind of power that our page has. How has it been working with a twin? on a business or an enterprise like this? You know, we've always been a really good team ever since we were like three years old, like working on Legos together. So I think he's the best partner that I could have ever asked for. So I started it on my own and he was living in Philadelphia and he had his, he was a small business owner at the time. And I was looking for help, but I ended up not hiring anybody or not partnering up with anybody because I really couldn't find the right person. And then one day I went on vacation and I told him, hey, can you make some graphics and kind of take over the page while I'm gone? And I, I came back and I checked the page and, I, and it, he was going really viral. And I said, okay, he's the partner that I need to have. That was a few years ago. And since we partnered up, I think the page has really blossomed because the two of us work really well together. And even when we're not together, He's pretty good at making the articles, and I'm pretty good at making graphics. So we really complement each other. So, so far, it's been a really positive experience. And we both agree. I mean, we're not just physically identical twins, but politically, we're nearly identical as well, which is really important because Occupied Democrats falls in a very specific point in the political spectrum. And it's hard to find people who aren't too far to the left or too far to the right. I think we both fall right near the same spot. Even though during the primary, I supported Bernie and he supported Hillary, I also thought Hillary would make a fine candidate and he thought Bernie would make a fine, a fine president. So I think we're a really nice balance. What would you characterize as that spot that you both occupy? What is the ideology there? What are the principles there? Well, I think we're as liberal as we can be while still being Democrats and reasonable and pragmatic. So we do think that Democrats 
could be more progressive, but at the same time, we realize that America, America is a pretty center-right country. I mean, we're we're just founded on these conservative ideals. So my brother and I, we try to shift the paradigm to the left in order to give the Democratic Party cover to be more progressive. So when President Obama first came out, for example, with his minimum wage proposal, he wanted $9.10. Then my brother and I said, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, it's $7.15, but it should be higher. So we said it should be $11. We made a, a raise the minimum wage campaign at $11 that went really viral. Next thing you know, the unions jumped in and they said, wow, it should be $15. Then Bernie Sanders came on and said, well, I agree, it should be 15 And then Hillary Clinton said, well, I see Obama's 9 and I see Occupy Democrats 11 Well, I'll go with 12 Now, I believe the Democratic Party just put 15 into their official platform. So that shows you how in just a matter of about five years, we were able to shift that paradigm from $9 to 15 you just mentioned that you and your brother were split in the primary. What were you thinking during the primary of 2016 as you were participating and watching? At first, I didn't really know which candidate because I thought maybe Bernie Sanders is a little too far to the left to really capture the American mainstream. But then I, I saw him speak live at Netroots and he literally just put chills through my body. And... I knew that I had to personally get behind him. Now, my brother, he's a little bit more pragmatic than I am. So he, of course, thought Hillary Clinton had the experience, the know-how, and the name recognition to really pull it off. It was an ugly primary, and there was a lot of infighting on both sides and a lot of accusations of sabotage, etc. So it, it was one of the most difficult and most trying times in our organization just to try to keep everybody together and say, look, we're all on the same team. There's no reason to tear each other down. There's really no reason for our organization to choose a side since it's just the primary. Once the primary was wrapped up, a lot of the Bernie supporters jumped on the Bernie or bust train or the never Hillary train rather. And we did our best to tell them, look, we hear you, but at the same time, the alternative is so much worse that the party really needs unity right now. And if you if you go back and look through our graphics, it's clear in our graphics that we were trying to bring the party together. We were trying to show people that the candidates really are not that far apart. So Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, their voting record was nearly identical in the Senate. Their platform was nearly identical. For example, she wanted states to enact a, 12, a $15 minimum wage, but she wanted a $12 federal wage. He wanted a $15 federal wage. He wanted free public colleges. She wanted debt-free public colleges. So she, basically, she wanted to means test them, but it would still end up being debt-free for all students. So the differences between that, they're small compared to President Trump, who thinks that we shouldn't even have a minimum wage and who thinks that all college students are freeloaders and they don't deserve, that only rich people deserve to go to a, a school of their choice like he did. So we did our best to try to hold the line and keep the party together. I think we succeeded in, in some respects, and I think in some respects, I mean, there was not even we could do something about it. <laughs> During the general campaign, what did you think about how the Democrats campaigned online? How did they do? 
and how do they do compared to the Trump campaign from your vantage point? Uh, from my vantage point, I think that they completely blew us out of the water. From what I've read, Donald Trump spent over $100 million on Facebook. From what I understand, the Hillary campaign didn't even spend $1 million. The Hillary campaign, they had a lot of voter contacts. I'm sure you and your listeners can attest to the fact that a lot of Hillary campaigners knocked on doors. Right? They had multiple voter contacts. But they didn't realize that a lot of these battles are being fought on one on social media nowadays. The ground shifted under them. And Donald Trump, who's a snake oil salesman, working, in my opinion, working in conjunction with Vladimir Putin and the Russians, they realized that they could use social media to not only promote their candidate, but to suppress the vote for their opponent by smearing them. And I think that they did an excellent job. Now, the Democrats, to this day, I don't understand why they never really reached out to us, even though we were by and large, the largest and most active and influential political page in the country. They just never reached out to us until it was too late. By the time they reached out to us, it was five days before the election and it was too little too late. But I think that they realized their mistake. And now we're, we're already working with the DNC and the Democratic Party for 2018. So I think even though it's too late, by now they've gotten the message. What is the nature of your of your relationship with the Democratic Party now? What I can't say is that the Democratic Party, they have a weekly phone call with Nancy Pelosi and their folks, and we go over messaging. So you, you get to participate in messaging with the party? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all I, I can divulge, yeah. Okay. During the campaign, when you would post something about Sanders, or you would post something about Clinton, did you see any difference between the responses to those two candidates in terms of bots or fake news or the way that response was ginned up on your page about those candidates? You know, what all I can say was from my vantage point, I mean, when we would post anything positive about Bernie Sanders, because we posted positive things about both candidates, when we would post pro-burning content, right away it would get a lot of engagement, really, really positive engagement. When we would post Hillary Clinton, within 10 seconds, there would be pornographic images of her, uh, hateful lies, smears. I think maybe many of them were real, but a lot of them were absolutely from sock puppet accounts. And I remember my brother and I going through them and we would, we would click on their profiles and we would say, this is a fake profile. A lot of them were from Macedonia, from Russia. And it, at the time we didn't know what to make of it. We, we kept telling ourselves, why does it seem like there's all this fake news coming from Russia? I mean, now knowing what we know, it all makes sense. But we were absolutely targeted, and I would venture to guess that we were the number one target of anti-Hillary, pro-Trump, and pro-Bernie fake news bots coming out of Russia and Macedonia that you keep hearing about. How much of an impact do you think all this going on had on the election? I think it had a massive impact because if you were online at the time, everybody knew that Hillary Clinton was 
for example, taking donations for the Clinton Foundation in exchange for weapons deals to Yemen, for example. And she stole the reconstruction money for Haiti after the earthquake. All these stories that ended up being completely untrue, in fact, ended up being completely the opposite. But it really went a long way towards staining her character and her goals as a candidate. And not only did it mislead a lot of people, but I think that Hillary supporters were afraid to voice their support on social media because they would immediately be flooded with a barrage of lies and, and pornographic images. I mean, we got a lot, of, a lot of messages about it, and I saw it with my own eyes. And I kept thinking to myself, I know Bernie supporters. I am a Bernie supporter myself. And there's no way that these are real Bernie supporters because we know that the Macedonian and the Russian trolls, they weren't just pretending to be Trump fans, but they were also pretending to be Bernie fans. So it was a coordinated effort against Hillary Clinton that, in my opinion, started when she put sanctions on Russia that really strained their economy and stopped Vladimir Putin. They stopped several big oil deals, especially the Rosneft deal that Vladimir Putin really wanted. So I think they went a lot further than most folks realize, especially on the ground, I can attest to that. What are your own metrics for success? What do you aim at? What are you trying to do as you go forward? Kind of what's your vision and how do you measure it? In terms of engagement and making a difference, I mean, we, we've been head and shoulders above every other political Facebook page for over four years now. But I don't really measure that as success. I see myself and my brother's story reflected in our work. So we came here, we migrated from a third world country, and this country gave us everything. We were, at one point, my family was on food stamps and we got Medicaid. Then when I got into an Ivy League education, the taxpayers stepped in and largely paid for my education. And now my brother and I gladly pay our taxes and we feel like we're giving back to make sure that the next generation has just as much opportunity or more than we did. And I feel like that is reflected in the work of Occupy Democrats, which is to widen the circle of opportunity and make sure that not only did my brother and I make something of ourselves, but that we reach back and we pull the next generation with us. For me, that is my ultimate goal and marker of success. What do you say to people who place Occupy Democrats sort of in the, I don't know, uber-partisan or hyper-partisan category and, and therefore not a very good source of information? What is your attitude towards being factual, being accurate in what you put up? How do you think about that? First off, my brother and I and our organization, we put out like 20 pieces of content a day. So it's a lot of content for a small operation. Now, every three or four months, we get something wrong. And our critics are really quick to jump and pounce on it. Not just our critics on the right or the left, but the mainstream media folks. For example, CNN did an expose about us and how we're fake news. But CNN gave Trump and his surrogates 
over $200 million of free airtime leading up to the election. And, you know, New York Times and the rest of the mainstream media, they cheerleaded the Iraq war. So, you know, accusations of fake news, I find them kind of funny. I believe that the facts are on our side, right? So if you report and you say, well, here's what President Obama says, and here's what Donald Trump says, and you decide, in my opinion, you're doing the user at the service. You're, you're doing the reader at the service. 99% of the time, what President Obama says is accurate and honest. And Republicans and Trump, whether it be from the top to the bottom, whether it's Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, or Trump, their whole entire platform is based on lies. So yes, we are partisan, but in our opinion, and it's borne out by the facts, the truth is on our side. So although we, we make partisan news, our name is Occupy Democrats, so we're not pretending to be nonpartisan. I think people come to us and they're drawn to us because they know that we're reporting the truth accurately and doing a much better job than the mainstream media. What do you think of other progressive media organizations that are out there like Think Progress or Share Blue or some of the other entities that are avowedly progressive and also trying to put out news how do you compare yourself to them and what do you, who do you think is doing a good job and a bad job i have nothing but positive things to say about them a lot of them are 501c4s and they get donor money or they have a more corporate media structure so they can't really come out and say well what donald trump said is racist you know or he's a bigot they'll, they'll just kind of report what he said and let the reader decide so I think that that's what sets us apart from them. Not that it's a bad thing or a good thing on, on their side. I mean, it just is what it is. We don't have to answer to anybody. We don't have to answer to donors and we don't have to answer to the CEO upstairs. So we're going to keep calling a spade a spade and tell it like it is. Earlier today, I interviewed two former social studies teachers who have a site called My Resistance Weekly. Each week, they kind of write up a carefully thought out piece on something that the people on their email list should do to resist Trump. And it's very nice, and it's quiet and sober and sort of long form. They have 950 people on their list. You have, I don't know, how many millions are you up to? We have 7 million on the Occupy Democrats page. What do you think that says about the country right now, if anything? And is there a way for us to raise the level of dialogue? Well, you know, I, I view ourselves as less of an action platform and more of a messaging platform. Social media is different than email, right? Where email is, is more formal. Social media, people are looking for easily digestible, hard-hitting content that they basically view, they share it, and they're out. They're on to the next piece of content. So I don't know if social media is the best medium through which you create on-the-ground action. I think it could be coordinated. But, for example, the folks at Indivisible are doing fantastic work. And I would say that they're on the polar end of the spectrum. They have very little presence on Facebook, but they have a large presence through private groups. 
and emailing. So I think there might be a way to join the two, but I haven't seen anybody do it effectively. I think they're both very time-consuming things. So I'm sure they're working really hard. I mean, they're coordinating people on the ground. They're going to rallies all over the country. They're going to town halls. They have their messaging points. And the work that we do, which is creating quickly digestible content and responding in real time to the Trump administration and Trump himself, is also a full-time job. So even though they're polar opposites, there may be a way to merge them. And Occupy Democrats is hoping to do that sometime in the future, but right now we just don't have the staff or the time to do it. Now, we were planning on working closely with the with Hillary Clinton's administration, but that ended up not working out. So now we're just strictly in the opposition party. Once we take back Congress and hopefully send Donald Trump packing and replace him with a Democrat, we would absolutely love to work within the confines of the Democratic Party in order to help them promote and implement their agenda. But unfortunately, that's just not how reality ended up. By doing what you've done, starting and running and growing Occupy Democrats, you've become quite a political entrepreneur. What do you think are the characteristics of a good political entrepreneur? Well, you know, I think the message is the most important thing. So, I mean, I do have a business background and I've been able to self-fund and grow my organization. But I think that if you ever lose track of the message, then you're not going to be able to monetize it, right? So it's the messaging that drives the monetization. Now, I do think that that is what sets us apart from other indie blogs and organizations is that it is, it's hard to hire staff and to get your message out without being able to generate revenue, which we luckily have been able to do, which allowed us to grow not just our organization, but allowed us to grow our network. On your site, I noticed that you put in very bold letters, we advocate working with Democrats, not third parties, to fight social and economic equality. Why did you put that up there and why is that important to you? I view politics as a zero-sum game. So, unfortunately, we don't have a parliamentary-style system, even though I would like that. But the way that things work in this country is there's two sides. There's Democrats on the left and Republicans on the right. And any kind of infighting, as we saw in the last election, it cannibalizes your own team. And I just don't think that third parties are viable so any talk of third parties, it just divides us and it splits our efforts when the real enemy is the Republican Party and we need to be a united front against them. Do you track what's going on on the right in similar type of organizations? What do you see out there? You know, there is nothing similar to us on the right because we are a legitimate, organic, grassroots organization. The right has astroturf so donald trump has pages with millions of followers who support him but there's very little activity in those pages which clearly shows that uh they're funded by corporations and polluters which have a lot of money like i think you know, it's kind of a fault of democrats that they don't really fund the left as well as the right if i was doing the kind of work and getting the kind of engagement that i'm getting now on the right I have no doubt 
And I've spoken to some members on the right that do similar, I mean, they're not as big as us, but they do similar work, that the checks from the Koch brothers and other lobbying groups would come raining down on us. But instead, we have to self-fund their operation, which, you know, it's a blessing because we've learned how to grow organically and really be the voice of the people. But at the same time, it's hard to compete when we have to grow 7 million likes organically and Donald Trump can spend a million dollars and buy 3 million likes in the drop of a second. What is the main lesson, do you think, in what you've done with Occupy Democrats? What can other people learn from you? I think that before I started it, I used to be very active on my own personal Facebook and I used to go on rants and it was hard to really get them in front of too many people. And, and I, I was just so frustrated that I didn't have a stronger political voice. So my message to other folks like me who were frustrated is take the plunge. If you feel like you have a strong voice and a strong message, go ahead and create a fan page. And you just never know. You might be able to build momentum like I did and really make a difference. What, what have you most enjoyed in the, the run that you've had with Occupy Democrats? You know, definitely the messages of support that we get. You know, we get hundreds of messages every day. Half of them are death threats from Republicans. <laughs> and, the other, and the other half are marginalized folks or even folks who are doing pretty well but have a heart and a conscience. And they realize that we're really sticking up for those who have no voice. So lobbying groups and polluters and Wall Street and industrialists, they have plenty of voice out there, especially after Citizens United and the rise of super PACs. But we feel like nobody's really, they're advocating on behalf of labor unions and on behalf of the LGBT community and on behalf of those who really rely on our social safety net in order to make ends meet and hopefully work their way up the, the ladder to the American dream. So even though half the messages that we get are terrible, the other half are people who really thank us for providing them a voice and for really sticking up for the little guys. And that's the most enjoyable part of my work and really keeps me going. What's the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge that we face is that we have little to none uh, institutional or party backing. The Democratic Party, they've reached out to us a little bit and, you know, we have coordinated messaging calls, but they've never, they've never really helped us grow. And they don't, they also, they don't use us. Like we have the largest and most active political organization in the planet, as far as I know. And we're all, we're older, we're all voting age, we're all very active, we're engaged. But the Democratic Party, they just haven't gotten the message. Like, I met John Podesta near the end of the campaign, like a month before the election, the general election. And he said, hey, you know, you're doing good work. He shook my hand. He gave me his card. I sent him an email. I said, hey, we'd love to get your message out to our millions of followers. And, you know, with Facebook, you can't reach everybody. If you want to reach all your followers, you, it's pay to play. You have to put money into it. We don't have the money that the Hillary Clinton campaign has. So I asked him, hey, is there any way that you want to coordinate with us and try to win this election? And we never heard back. So I think my, our, my biggest frustration has been 
cultivating this large network of active, engaged political uh, liberals and really not being able to use it to its full potential because the folks who run the Democratic Party before the election, they didn't really see the potential and the importance of social media. And now things, the tide is starting to change, although it's not where I would like it to be. But my goal is to be able to use our network in 2018 and 2020 and beyond in order to not just defeat Donald Trump and take back Congress, but also to enact progressive legislation such as a badly needed minimum wage raise and maybe reunionize the private sector and get big money out of politics and overturn Citizens United. Omar, if there's a candidate or an organization that would like to work with you, how do they approach you? What can they do? How could you help? They can just give me a phone call or send us an email. I, I, I check every single email that's written to our organization. The way that I could help is not only could I help organically. I just saw an ad on my page yesterday. I took a screenshot of it to show you. I saw an ad run by the Democrats. The page is called Democrats. And it said, Elizabeth Warren is listening to us. This post had 18 likes, not a single comment and not a single share. And they were boosting it to the American people. The way that Facebook works is if we were to create engagement on that post ourselves and then it was boosted, it would reach 30 times more people for 30 times less money. But I just don't think that the Democrats have really gotten that message yet. So I'm working on two different uh, special elections right now just so I can show the Democratic Party what we're capable of. Well, not just a Democratic Party, but other campaigns that, hey, we could really help you spread and amplify your message for a fraction of the cost as traditional media, but you just have to take the plunge. And I think you'll be very pleasantly surprised. I, I would love to use my network for more than just sharing graphics and sharing memes, but also helping Democrats win elections, which I think is the would 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 help my ultimate goal of making America more equal, uh, more progressive society with, you know, widening the circle of opportunity. So supposing you knew a guy with a podcast where he interviews progressive entrepreneurs and leaders of the resistance, how could you help get an episode out to more people? Well, I could just share it to our members. And, um, sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I think I, w I would love to do that. Omar, it's been tremendous to talk to you. Anything else you'd like to say? No, I would like to encourage your followers to check us out and have an open mind about our content and about our mission. And I think that they will really see that our hearts are in the right place. And we're an organization that really works hard every single day to help push progressive causes and help the Democratic Party. And I think that they would love our content. That was Omar Rivero with Occupy Democrats. Omar is at OccupyDemocrats.com. With its very large number of followers, Occupy Democrats has a ton of potential for the resistance to Trump to harness. I will be curious to watch Occupy Democrats evolve and see how Omar and his brother work in coalition with other progressives in the party. We need their energy in the electoral and policy battles to come. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with a Great Battlefield Podcast. 
You can find us at resistancedashboard.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. <laughs>